Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. My name is Sadie Carpenter, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, Sadie. My name is Gabrielle Hawkowen, and I promise that the next time I have guests over for dinner that I will have dumplings. <laughs> that's, that's important. But before we get into that, uh, we are here to talk about uh, my life in the independent fundamental Baptist cult. Uh, we're here to educate and inform our listeners about this cult and other cults and uh, the the very real danger that they present to society. And we're also here to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. Uh, if you like our show and you want to get into more discussions about it, you can check out our Facebook group. It's called Eden Exodus. Uh, we have a lot of fun there. If you'd like to support our show, uh, you can join our Patreon which we very much appreciate. If you're not able to financially support us, that's totally understandable in this time. Things that you can do for free to support us are recommending us to other people, uh, giving us a good iTunes review, or posting about us on the internet. Hopefully yes, you're yes, nice yes. about it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> say we... that we're the worst unless we don't like you. If you're somebody who sucks and you say that we're the worst, that probably means that we're pretty good. 
Yeah, no, no, you're right about that. Uh, yeah. But just just uh, just say that we're the best, though, because hopefully that's your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're wondering why Sadie is doing the intro today, it is because it is a reverse homework episode. That's right. Sadie has assigned me something to watch this time instead of me assigning her something. And this one, this one was exciting to me. We hit a large milestone on our downloads. It was 10,000 10, total downloads 10, since we started 10,000 total downloads, uh, which yeah. was super exciting. So we wanted to celebrate with doing a reverse homework. And this time I really pulled out all the stops. Uh, this is uh, this is the probably the last reverse homework we'll do for a little bit, at least a, a few months. So I wanted to pull out something really special. Yeah. Uh, so for so for this episode, what I had Gavi watch was the movie Sheffy. Sheffy is a movie that was made in the 1970s by film students at Bob Jones University. And if you've been following this podcast for a while, you've probably heard me mention Bob Jones a few times. It is a, a Bible college, not completely dissimilar from Hiles Anderson. But it is a, a, they are, they lean a little bit more towards high church to be a little bit more fancy, less screaming and shouting from the pulpit. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones and uh, Brother Hiles were contemporaries and they were, they would work together on things for a while. And then they eventually split as Jack Hiles became more conservative and more um, strict with the rules. So this movie, though, was made by the Bob Jones Film Department, and it focuses on the life of Robert Sheffy, who was a circuit writing preacher uh, in the, the 1840s to 1900 era. Yeah. And so I had no idea what that meant when you're like, oh, he's a circuit writing preacher. I'm just like, what? What is that even? I had no idea what any of this stuff was. But also, you know, watching this movie. Um, so this will explain something that is the absolute gulf between our upbringings. Before watching this movie, I had literally no idea what a camp meeting was or is. Yeah, I figured you wouldn't know. And I figured you wouldn't know circuit writing preacher the term either. Yeah, the, the, you're like, what is I'm like, what is that? I thought I would just get you to watch the movie first and... If you still didn't get it, I'm happy to to kind of fill in any gaps. But I thought maybe it would be better just to let you watch the movie and figure it out. Yeah. So, like, I mean, this is like this is a term that I've heard you use before, though. And like it just sort of flew over my head and I ignored it. But like the camp meeting is a central point to this movie. Like they're saying, oh, we're all going to the camp meeting. And I'm like, what are they talking? Are they going camping? And it turns out it's like a church function. And so. I like after watching this movie, I, I did some reading about it and I, I like I guess in the second great awakening, you know, in, which is an extremely monumental era in American history. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, th th that was like a thing that they would do. And I guess I didn't pay attention to that in my AP U.S. history class. I'm sure that I just skimmed the paragraphs in my textbook that were about it. Like this, I, I'm sure that this was something that you learned about in great detail, but also oh, yeah. like for, yeah, but like for me, one thing to remember is that my family was not in North America at this time. I don't think anybody that like, or hardly anybody that I was related to was in North America 
before like the late 1800s, like early 1900s. And they definitely weren't in Appalachia. They definitely weren't in the South. They were in the Northeast. They were in Detroit and they were in Canada. So not necessarily like heavily Protestant areas that they were in to begin with. So this wouldn't have been part of my family history either. So I wouldn't have learned about it that way. Right. And there are parts and sections of my family that absolutely this would have been part of my family history. Right. So um, you would have known about that. Oh, yeah. So I knew about the, you know, I, I learned about the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, however, in my history paces. This was kind of a big deal in um, when you learn history in an IFB Christian school. So learning preachers that were associated with these different times kind of the, the the issues. So if you remember, there's one point where Sheffy's eating dinner with the family and the the father of the family asks him if he ministers to black people as well as white people. And then he kind of corrects himself like, oh, is that too controversial a question to ask in these times? Yeah, because this was what era was that? Was that like before the Civil War? Or was it after the Civil War? That part would have been just before the Civil War. Okay. He would have been in Virginia, so it would have been like – that. Virginia was a slave state, but then West Virginia split off and became not a slave state. That sounds right. That's the history. That's what I'm remembering. That's why Virginia split into Virginia and West Virginia was because West Virginia didn't want to secede. I, I can't remember the history. I might be wrong about that. Virginia seceded. West Virginia stayed as part of the union. That sounds right, but I can't say for sure. Yeah. What I can tell you for sure, though, is that abolitionism was a, was a big factor. So in the first Great Awakening, the the, the defining thing of like what, preach, what people were preaching about uh, was the need to turn away from Calvinism and, and to take a, an active part in your own salvation. What I mean by that is that you have to pray and accept Jesus to be saved. Like being a Christian or going to church is not enough by that theology. You have to, in a particular specific moment in time, you have to turn away from your past and accept Jesus, who is your future. It's like a like a transaction. And it is a one-time moment, not a life of being a Christian that leads you to heaven. Uh, that is a major theological shift that we'll surely get into in clearer terms uh, at another time <laughs> if I don't just bore everybody to death talking about it. But that was the focus of the first Great Awakening. The second Great Awakening focused more on sins, like turning from sin. So you hear Sheffy preach a lot about the evils of alcohol. Yes. And in real life, he would probably have been speaking about slavery as well. And they kind of leave that out in the movie. So did they sanitize that? I, I believe that based on my research, I believe that the real Sheffy would have probably had also been talking about a good deal about slavery and that they kind of sanitized it out of the movie because it's Bob Jones and Bob Jones is really well known for not liking to ruffle feathers, which is how Bob Jones and Jack Hiles split. Well, but Bob Jones also was well known for not supporting racial integration. Yeah, in that's the, the United. Other part. Yeah, mm -hmm. so not wanting to ruffle feathers is code for this guy 
had a lot of like he was racist and he had a lot of people who were racist who followed Mm -hmm. him and he didn't want to i don't want to say he didn't want to upset their sensibilities but he used oh well we don't want to make any sudden dramatic changes as a way to say oh maybe we shouldn't change this thing about society even if it's wrong it would upsetting the status quo is always bad right but um but back to what we were talking about these, the the second great awakening would have focused more on specific it's where you start getting the anti-alcohol sentiment that built over the end of the 19th century and into the beginning of the 20th century uh if you've heard of president rutherford b hayes he wasn't really known for very much but his wife lucy hayes was she was known as lemonade lucy and she was part of the christian women's temperance union which was a, a huge historical thing that eventually brought about prohibition in the United States. So what you're seeing happen in Sheffy is the Second Great Awakening is important because it brought about these two huge political movements of abolition and of prohibition. Yeah. So let's get into the movie. You you were telling me last time when you assigned me this movie to begin with that the place in culture that for us, I, I don't. I guess not everyone's uh, upbringings was universal, but for me, growing up, you know, whenever you were like at summer camp, or whenever you were at like you know when it was inside recess at school, or when it was uh, you know you just had a bunch of kids together and you wanted to throw on a movie that they would enjoy, but you know had to be appropriate for all of them. The movie that they would throw on would be The Princess Bride. But for you guys, this is what you were telling me last time, they would put on Sheffy. Right. Uh, you know, if uh, on the half day of school before Christmas break, when the yeah. teachers don't feel like doing anything with you and they just want to roll in the TV that's on that like little cart with wheels. Oh, I know the TV. Put... We, see, we had that TV too. We just didn't have The Princess Bride on it. We had Sheffy. Here's a question. For the earliest... Uh, uh... Uh, in like when you were in earlier elementary school did they have like the projector with like the film reels like the real the real projector no always oh man port see that's how you know i went to portland public (laughs) schools because we had no money we had that projector from the 70s man oh no i don't think i've ever seen one of those um no you know what i've seen i've seen a missionary use that at our church to like showcase i'm a missionary to this place and this is what i do like, so I've yeah. seen it in that context, but I haven't seen it in a school context. Yeah, no. It's, but anyway, so, but so that's what would that happen. this is that movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is that movie for me. Which, see, this seems wild to me. And you want to <laughs> know why? For many reasons, I'm sure. Because I cannot imagine being a child, being an elementary school child, and wanting to watch this whole movie. Oh, this we didn't. movie <laughs> is so boring. This movie is two and a half hours, or it's like two hours and 20 minutes long. This, like, and I know that because when I was watching the movie, I would pause it several times throughout the movie to wonder how much time <laughs> can possibly be left. In this long ass boring <laughs> movie, 
I mean, I didn't. Oh my say, god! I didn't say that we enjoyed it. Oh my goodness! No, this this movie. So is- I'm not. Sh- on your happy childhood memories no i got a real kick out of watching it again for this episode but i did not like this movie as a child at all okay i don't know of anyone who did uh it, it, listeners who were raised ifb write us <laughs> so my experience with this movie i guess i really like had the ifb experience where you gotta sit there sit still and watch this stupid movie that is you didn't just like you didn't like get your get have a drink or something. I I'm telling you, I had the full IFB experience oh, for this man. movie. So I watched this movie stone cold sober, which wow. I deeply regret. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Listen, if I had if I had the option to drink right now, I would not have watched this movie sober. I mean, we could uh, we could turn this movie into a drinking game if we wanted to, couldn't we? I mean, we need to. The, the The thing about this movie is not only is it long, it, it really has no plot, actually. Yeah. It's just kind of a list of things that happened. Yeah, and I wanna, I'm want wondering, so how historically accurate is this movie? You know, I didn't really look into Sheffy's life, if that's okay. what you're asking. Like, I don't know if it's if it's super accurate to his life. I know it was based on a book about him. Like an actual biography, so I assume that it's that it's fairly, you know, as accurate as any movie that's based on a biography is. Um, as far as church history, it's accurate to my knowledge. So you want to know how I know that it is kind of accurate to uh to his life, or certain aspects are accurate to his life? How? Because when I was watching the movie, um, you know how they would flash years down at the bottom of the screen to say what year it was? Yes. Uh, because this movie takes place over the course of like 80 years or yeah. 70 or 60 <laughs> years or whatever. I would go to Wikipedia and look up what year did this guy die in so that I could know how much longer <laughs> the movie had to go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. No, but let's let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So this guy, Robert Sheffy. He's he's like a rich kid in Virginia in like the 1800s, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's like a rich kid in Virginia in the 1800s. He went to business school, but he didn't really have an aptitude for business. Um, he's like what 22, 23, something like that. He yeah, went. To, he tried to go to 20s. college. Yeah, he tried to go to college. Wasn't for him. And his aunt, who he lives with, is like Robert. You got to make something of yourself. You got to go to college. You know, you, you, your uncle is, is, or somebody you're related to has offered you this position in this business. You just have to go for it and really try for it. And he's like, I'm not interested in doing that. I just want to go hang out with his friends. And then he goes and so he goes to hang out with his friends. Um, And this was a weird thing for like, so he goes and he hangs out with his friends. He's rich, but his friends look straight, like trap aesthetic, like absolute, just like ratchet dudes. You yeah, know, and that th- struck me as odd. His friends are very dirty. Yeah, so there was this one dude who he was friends with who had like brown stuff around the corner of his mouth, and I'm like, what? Like, oh, that's who- probably chewing tobacco, right? Oh, is that what that? Okay, that would yeah. Make sense. I assume that was meant to represent chewing tobacco. I didn't. I guess I didn't know that. I like chewing tobacco is not a thing. I mean, that I you've think about probably never basis. seen anybody chew tobacco, have you? I have seen people chew tobacco oh, okay. on TV when I was watching. Uh, baseball. No, 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 in person. Oh no. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. 
Is it Ooh. gross? I mean, it looks gross. It's it's more the sound. Oh, mm. yeah. So that's what his friend. It's a- so that's what his friend was doing. Is that he was? So they go and they're like, "Hey, let's go to the revival service and um and mess with." And so they go to the revival service. They've got like a bag of old corn cobs, and I'm like, "What? What are they gonna do with these corn cobs? Like, what? What?" And so, so if you're country, you know that's a waste of good toilet paper. but okay (laughs) yeah so they like they like have all these corn cobs sorry that's the 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 equivalent at that time like that's what so they're basically tp'ing the guy yes like that's the that's what they used corn cobs for at the time was tp so they're like essentially yeah so they're tp'ing the uh so they go to the they go to the revival service and they're like um and the preacher's talking and then his friend just starts throwing these corn cobs at the preacher. And like the preacher like gets knocked the f- out by these corn cobs. Like how much does a corn cob weigh though? Not very much, which is it can't it, it weigh is very little, much. But the preacher's really old. Like it's slow-mo and it hits the preacher in the head and he's like, oh, <laughs> and he falls over. And I'm just like, that's like that does not look like it weighs that much. Like, how did it do that? And then, no, they're 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 corn cobs are very light. Um, I'm trying to think of a of an equivalent, but I can't. I mean, it's it's like throwing a toilet paper tube at somebody. It's not much. It's not much heavier yeah. than a toilet paper tube. No. Yeah. So he throws it like, and so uh, Robert's friends leave, and then he's like, "Oh well, I think that what they were doing was bad, so I'm going to stick around and get saved. Um, yeah. Get saved by the preacher." Uh, he gets saved by Jesus. Yeah, he gets the saved by just Jesus. Happened to be there. The preacher just happens to be there, yeah. and so he like, and so he goes home, and his mom is like, "How dare you do? Like, we already took you to church. Why do you want to go to a different church?" And like, this fight is so massive that he decides to leave his house, which seemed weird to me, or that he gets thrown out. But it seemed really weird to me that that would happen. I don't so know. That, this is yeah. like really historically accurate. So that is historically accurate. Okay, maybe I'm just missing the cultural context to be like why that would be a big deal. Because was it like because oh they were like the revival was like low class church yes. and they went to like high class church. Yes, and also remember what I was talking about with turning away from the idea that like you can be born a Christian or like believing in God is how you get to heaven. You turning away from that idea and into the modern evangelical idea of you have to get saved. Like there is a, a transactional moment of salvation. The okay. aunt believes that you're born a Christian as long as you believe in God and do good things, you go to heaven. Is she a, is she a Calvinist? Would they be Calvinists then? Most likely, their- yeah. Um, almost certainly. Sheffy has, has changed his theology to the belief that you have to have that tr- that transactional moment of like trusting Jesus and becoming a Christian. And she's offended by that idea because what he's basically told her is you aren't good enough the way you are. You won't be good enough until you have this transactional moment and accept Jesus. So this is interesting because like me watching this movie, I do not understand like the, the conflict here, but there is like a subtext here that you have to basically be, very well versed in their theology to know about okay that makes the rest of the movie make way more sense to me Mm -hmm. because i was like this like narratively speaking this doesn't make any sense like this this doesn't seem like a huge cause for conflict for me 
but like so that's I what guess that, it that's would what be. that's about. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, that makes okay that not only that makes the movie make more sense, that makes the movie better. That makes the movie more like if I'd known that before, like if I'd known the 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 historical context and the cultural context of that, I probably would have been like, there's probably a ton of stuff in this movie that just flew over my head then. Oh, I assume I felt like the entire movie was I felt like there was a kind of a running sub commentary throughout the entire movie of reinforcing Baptist doctrine. Yeah. But I don't Which know is, Baptist doctrine, so I, right. I don't know that that's what I was watching. I just knew, okay, well, this movie seems really moralistic in weird ways, but okay. The the way that things are – uh, I won't go too deep into it, but the way that things are phrased, uh, the language choices that are made, a, a lot of that – if you thought something was phrased oddly, chances are it wasn't just somebody talking in an old-fashioned manner. It was probably somebody either quoting or paraphrasing scripture – or speaking in such a way to reinforce Baptist doctrine. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That that makes perfect sense to me. And so he he like do, like he goes to a church somewhere else, and then uh, coming up, we're gonna have an episode where we actually talk about something called an altar call, and we've started working on that episode already. And I I sort of didn't quite know what it was, but then like we watched this, I watched this movie, and now I sort of get what they were talking about. What what you were yeah. talking about with the altar call when we were when we were discussing that. And you'll notice that earlier in the movie, there weren't altar calls. And then as time went on, they became prevalent, which is something I talk about in that upcoming episode. So it becomes a thing. So it be- yes. so altar call becomes a thing. Yes. Okay. That Okay. So that makes sense. Okay. So he goes to this other service and there's an altar call and there's some dude who's like, I don't know if I want to go up and do it. And then Sheffy's just like, he, he just says a word of encouragement to this guy and this guy goes up and does it. And then the pastor's like... Oh, hey, well, do you know? He's like, no, I don't know anything. I, I, you know, I don't really have much education. Anyway, this guy, eventually, he just does a bunch of stuff. He's not good at speaking in front of people. He doesn't know anything about the Bible. But then they're like, hey, you should be a pastor anyway, which seemed weird to me that this guy who like (laughs) that everybody in this movie seemed so like in the early part of this movie seemed so determined that Robert Sheffy should be a pastor. Do you need an explanation for that? Yeah, that everybody was everybody who met him was like, "Hey, you should be a pastor." He's like, "A, I hate speaking in front of people. B, <laughs> yep. I've never read the Bible." So they're like, "That doesn't matter. You should do it anyway." And like then he does it, which is mm-hmm. weird. So so what this is illustrating uh is something that we're going to go super into in the the episode where we talk about altar calls. And that's one reason this movie turned out being really convenient to do for homework right now. Um, because now you've got like a basis of understanding. Yeah. So what what these people are illustrating when they tell Sheffy, you would be really good at being a pastor or like, I feel like God is telling me that you're going to be a pastor or you should be a pastor, even though you totally don't want to and have none of the skills. He has no literally no <laughs> qualifications for this job, but everyone is determined that he should do this job. So what they're illustrating, this is something that happens. he hasn't gone happens. to seminary. Yeah, d- dude, this is something that happens in real life. I have seen this literally happen to people. People can just walk up to you and be like, God told me that you're going to be a pastor. Okay, so uh, in Dating with a Purpose. Yeah, in that episode we did, yeah. In, no, in Dating with a Purpose, the book. Actually, that's the mountain. Oh, in the book, yeah. In the book. Jack Scop tells a story about being in church and some old lady walks up to him in church and says, see that girl over there? That's who you're going to marry. 
And it was his future wife, Cindy, who he cheated on um, when he molested a minor and went to jail for it. Yeah, rapist, Jack Scott, that guy. That old lady just walked up to him and was like, see that girl? That's who you're going to marry. And that's the same concept as what was happening to Sheffy in this movie. People can literally just walk up to you and be like, God told me this about your life. <laughs> that's weird. Well, you remember me that's telling. Also, that's so forward. Yeah, but you remember me telling a story about a dude at Hiles Anderson who tried to do this to me. And then like you're he just kept like, like he kept no. like following me around at breakfast. Like I'm going to be oh, a pastor. Following? I thought that you said that you were ju- that he just would come up and sit with you. And this was right before your fall. Yeah, it was like during. Yeah. yeah, but he no, yeah. he was like this dude. Like, he was I peripherally knew him. Like I was, it wasn't a stranger. But he yeah, he would walk up to me and like try to give me like these words of wisdom from God about like my future and stuff. And I was like, no, no, thank you. Bye. Yeah. Um but Please this leave is a, me alone. But this is the same concept. Yeah. Like people could just walk up to him and and so basically that's supposedly a sign of God's call on your life. And that, that anybody could just say whatever they want to you and then that's God speaking to you through them. Yeah, well, supposedly those people had God put it on their heart. And we're going to get into the mechanics of that in that upcoming episode. But, oh, that's a, that's the thing I heard them say in the movie, though, that God yes. put it on my heart to do this mm-hmm. or that or the other thing. Okay. Right, so we're going to go super deep into like what it means to have God put something on your heart. That's what the, the result of that can be, that you walk up to some, some dude that you don't know and you're like, God wants you to be a pastor. Yeah. So anyway, so he goes um, – goes decides to become a pastor i guess apparently he he gets good at it uh, uh he gets rejected by the methodist like official board because they're like you have never read the bible you can't be a pastor sorry <laughs> and he kind of throws a tantrum like well god told me to and they're like okay well do you want to go to school for it because if you go to school for it then we'll say yes but no you can't and then he's like no i don't like I, I don't I don't want to go to school. I just want to go do it. And like what? Like, no, we're not gonna sign off on this. And then so that becomes like his sort of like you know, you know, uh in the Jordan documentary where he's like, and so I took that personal like that's his so I took that personal moment. Yeah. Anyway, so he's like riding around being a pastor. I guess eventually he gets good at it or whatever. And he's a circuit riding preacher. And what that means is there would be small congregations, like you said, in Appalachia and and throughout the South, that the congregation was so small that they couldn't pay someone to be their pastor. They would just have a church building and and maybe a few families. So the circuit riding ministers would travel from church to church and hold church services so, you know, so they'd have a service at one place and then they'd ride four or five days to the next place and then they have a church service there. And they do like a, what is it called? Like a rotation. So every few weeks or every few months, they'd be by each different church and people in the church would give them a place to stay and feed them um, so oh, that these people okay. well, could hear. Nice. Right. So that these people could hear or have church services and hear a pastor preach every every once in a while, even though they couldn't afford someone to work there full time and be the pastor. Okay, that's interesting. So that the 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 church were like, yeah, we got these people. We need to provide for them. You know, they're 
Mm-hmm. We need to. Okay, th- that that makes so much sense. Okay, so this movie, the historical context. See, I never learned about this stuff, but this makes so much sense. I'm sure that you had to learn all about this stuff. Yeah, but we so, did. And, and a lot of famous uh, evangelists kind of started off as circuit riding preachers. So basically, what happens with Sheffy is he's a he's a circuit riding preacher, and he's ministering to all these different people in different kind of far flung areas away out away from society. And then eventually he starts trying to gather all these people together into camp meetings where they would all people would travel for days even to come together in one place and they would all camp in their wagons um, and have church services for three or four days straight. And it was like a big revival thing. Okay, so but there's a scene that I want to talk about. So early in the movie, early into Robert Sheffy's days of being a circuit riding preacher. He happens upon a moonshine still in yep. the mountains of Virginia or the mountains of West Virginia um, in, in the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and he hears a gunshot and then he he on his horse. Uh, what was his horse's name? Was this his first horse or his second horse? Both of all of his oh, horses have the same Gideon. name. His horse Gideon, he on his faithful trusty steed Gideon, hasten to the sound of the gunshot where they find a belligerent moonshiner throwing this other preacher out of his moonshine still because this other preacher said you need to uh, shut down your moonshining still because uh, alcohol, liquor is against the will of God. And this moonshiner is like, no, I just sell it. People buy it. And what and whether or not they want to buy it, that's their decision. He's I mean, he's like basically saying, you know, like, I don't I don't sell drugs. I provide drugs. You know what I'm saying? You, you know, that thing where he's like, people are going to drink. I might as well be the one selling it to him. And this is pre-prohibition. So it's this not a legal like the matter. 1830s or something. Yeah, like it's that. not a legal matter. It's just a, these people really believe that 1840s. God hates liquor. And think this guy should shut down his still. Yeah. And this guy's like, I make good money doing this. Why are you trying to tell me to not do this anymore? Like, I, I, you know, and so this is the line. This guy says something like drinking turns men into wife beaters and child abusers, which I thought was interesting because I was under the impression that uh, being in the IFB turns Ooh. men into child abusers. Burn. Yeah, burn. I mean, we we talked about blanket training. We know about that. Yeah, but these uh, this is the beginnings of uh, general anti-alcohol sentiment among stricter Christian evangelicals that is still extremely prevalent. This yeah. is kind of where it. This is kind of where that took off as a concept. So this guy, this uh, moonshine distiller, uh, this moonshiner, uh, he is portrayed as as not very nice he's portrayed as as a very uh uh ugly fat disgusting sloth of a man slob of a man just very gross and very mean and like this is the only kind of person that would ever take to this career path mm-hmm. and that to me i that was like oh that's interesting but anyway so robert sheffy goes into the like to to sort of rescue this other preacher and says, God will strike a tree and the tree with lightning and the tree will fall down on your moonshine still. And the guy's like, please leave me alone. I 
just trying to make a like please go away and then Sheffy and his friend leave and then lo and behold lightning strikes a tree like the next day and it falls down on this guy's moonshine still and uh destroys it yep so just like Sheffy prayed would happen just like Sheffy prayed would happen and this is setting up the idea that like throughout his life Sheffy if Sheffy prays for something then it happens yeah so this is this is kind of a concept that I think is is really common within not just the IFB but within a lot of Christianity. Uh the there's a there's a thing that Jesus once said about he was talking to his disciples and they were complaining kind of complaining if I remember correctly they were complaining about how they felt like their prayers weren't very effective and Jesus's answer to them was you don't have enough faith. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed then you would be able to pray and tell a mountain to move and the mountain would move. So that's where the common phrase comes from, faith like a mustard seed. But I can tell you, um, this is a really, you want to hear a really embarrassing story about a time that I tried to Sheffy a situation? Yes. (laughs) Okay. I absolutely want to hear this story. (laughs) So this is super embarrassing. Um, So it was like 15 or 16, I think. And I needed oh, a CW for dental work, nothing too terrible. Um, but I needed to uh, have some teeth pulled to get my braces on. Mm. And um, ouch, I had a, a lot of, of teeth removed to get my braces on. It's a long story. Um, so I was in the dentist chair and the guy who was the dentist I looked on the wall and I noticed that his certification, like he graduated from dental school like a month before. So never a good sign. Mm. Yeah. So he was brand. But you were like looking for that. See, I go to the doctor. I just assume that they know what they're doing. You know, this guy. Well, I looked because the first two times he shot me with Novocaine, he didn't get it. Like he, he messed it up. So he had given me two shots of Novocaine, and then I was still feeling everything. He was like, okay, well, I guess I can give you one more shot of Novocaine, but if that doesn't work, then I'm either going to have to pull him without pain meds, or you're going to have to go home and sleep it off and come back next time. And I was not having it because I was like, I was, you know, I was, I was not coming back to the dentist again. I was, I wanted it, I wanted it over with. And I wanted my braces on so that I could get them off so that I could go to Hiles Anderson College and meet a preacher boy. Because how was I ever going to meet my preacher boy husband if I still had my braces on when I went to Hiles Anderson College? So I told him, uh, well, actually, I'm going to pray and then you're going to be able to do my work and it's going to be fine. So literally in the dentist chair and I was like, and I start praying like loud like loudly i'm sure the other people in the dentist office heard it (laughs) which is the embarrassing part (laughs) because i totally could have just like not i didn't need to inform him that i was going to pray you know i could have just like prayed in my heart i'm sure god would have heard me just fine but I start praying like, you know, like, like, like Sheffy calling down an oak tree on top of a moonshine still and praying about my dental work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can say is that it did work. 
<laughs> like the guy came back and he did my work and it was fine. I don't know if it was placebo effect or or what. Or maybe he this just... guy's like this little girl is insane. This young no, this young woman. Um, maybe he was a Christian. He's like, if I don't get this right, then I am going to have shattered her belief in God for all her life. I don't know. I definitely use this story as proof of having prayed down a miracle for like several years. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I still don't know. I mean, technically, I guess it worked. I don't know. I can't say if God did a miracle or if he just, you know, actually got the right spot with the last shot of Novocaine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But it did technically work, so there's that. There you go. So anyway, that is my that is, that's my super embarrassing story of how I once tried to chefy a situation. Yeah, so we're using chefy as a verb now. I think we should. I think we're kind of. Yeah. I think why not? Yeah. So okay. So fast forward uh, several years as the movie does, and he's just like going around, uh, uh, ministering to people. So uh, he he gets taken into this house, right? And they're going to let him stay there, and then he's going to preach there, as as you do if you're a circuit riding preacher. Right. And there's a couple, and then there is a young woman who is the the their daughter. Mm-hmm. And their daughter's kind of an old maid character. Not that she's old, old, but she's like in her thirties and not married. Yeah. And this woman, interestingly, uh, is played by Bob Jones the Third's wife. Yeah. Thought that was fun. So they're at they're in the house and they're eating dinner. And this was a scene that I felt was very strange where they're serving this beautiful meal, this like delicious looking meal. There's like bread. I think there's some there's uh, some meat or something there as well. There's vegetables. It's it's very nourishing and nutritious. There's a pie as well. So it's it's pie a looks full- really good. The pie looks really good. I watched that. I'm like, oh yeah, let me get that. I, I, you know, I want to eat. I wanted to eat that right out of the screen. But then Robert Sheffy is sitting at the table, and he looks at the table and he says, "Oh, you forgot the dumplings." <laughs> and this woman, who I'm sure uh, spent many hours cooking this delicious meal, said, "Well, I don't always like, make dumplings." I, like I'm so, like she has this look like bitch what <laughs> like what did you just say to me like I am feeding you out of the goodness of my heart and then Sheffy's just like next time make sure that there's dumplings and everyone laughs about it except for this woman who's just like fuck you well he you bougie ass preacher get the fuck out of my house or i will beat you with a broom and but then everyone else is like cool with it and she has this look on her face yeah well then he prays for the food and he's like dear lord thank you for the good food that you've provided but lord you and i both know that this meal would be better if we had dumplings he like put it yeah. in his prayer, which seems like even more disrespectful. And then they're just like, oh, Sheffy, you are a wild character, aren't you? And I'm just like, the wild character, this guy's a dick. Yeah. 
I do like I, that made me just immediately be like, I do not like this guy. I already sympathized with the moonshiner. He was just trying to scratch a living, man. So this is the same scene as like one of my most memorable moments from this film as well. Yeah. So so towards the end of this same kind of sequence, um, the daughter, the old kind of the old maid daughter is pouring. She's refilling Sheffy's glass of milk that he was drinking. And as she's pouring from a pitcher into his cup, she happens to look down at him and their eyes meet. And the romantic music starts playing. And <laughs> she's so distracted by looking into his eyes that she overflows the glass of milk. And this was uh this was something that I that I one of the few scenes that I actually remembered from seeing this movie as a child because this was something that we would reference a lot growing up. Oh really? So this is like an IFB meme. This is an IFB meme. Yeah. If you had a crush on somebody, you would this is like a scene that you might reference. Like, oh yeah, if he ever looked into my eyes, I would definitely overflow a glass of milk. <laughs> like hmm. like that, like That's like your euphemism being like, I'm ready. I, well like this is like it is, it's very mimetic. This is something that that I feel like I referenced a lot in my youth group growing up was this scene in Sheffy where she where she over, like she spills milk all over the table because she's looking into his eyes. Ouch. See, I didn't get that. I think I was up like getting some snacks or something when <laughs> that scene happened. Yeah, because I was like, this movie, this sucks. Well, it's right after movie. the dumpling scene. So it's right after like that. It. I was so mad. I was just like, I need to like. Yeah. <laughs> So you're te- this is probably around the time where you text me and you were like, Sadie, I hate this, this movie. <laughs> this movie. Sucks. Why did you make this watch? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So then, uh, so he's like going around there. They like, so here's another thing that I noticed is that. So earlier you mentioned, oh, they ask him, oh, do you, uh, do you preach to the, the black families and he's like, oh, yes, I find that they uh, love Jesus just as much as white families or, or something like that. But there is one line in there where, like, they're like, oh, hey, uh, Sheffy, do you preach to the Indians? And he's like, well, there's not many Indians left. And then they just move on from there. And I'm just like, oh, great. A casual remark about ethnic cleansing and genocide. <laughs> See, I missed that one. Oh, you missed that one? Oh, go back and watch it. I go back think- and watch it. They're like, hey. They're like, do you minister to the Indians? He's like, yeah, but there aren't many Indians left. Shrug. Like, oh, man. Okay. I wonder why. I mean, yeah, I guess this is like post Trail of Tears. Yeah, this is post Trail of Tears. So this is like that would have been the opinion of an old white guy around that time, most likely. Huh? Yeah. That's unfortunate. So they're like, okay, we're going to – so moving on, I guess the camp meetings are a thing now. But see, I didn't know what a camp meeting was, so I didn't understand that like – oh, this is a thing that they would do. Uh, I was just like, they were just like, oh, we're all going to the camp meeting. And I'm like, what's what's the camp meeting and why is that important? And then I guess this continues to be a thing. I mean, I went to camp meetings growing up. Yeah, like, but I, I literally never heard of that before you told me about like a camp meeting. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. For some reason, they're talking about, oh, the people are trying to cancel the camp meetings. And the reasoning for why they're trying to cancel the camp meetings is very unclear. I do not understand this. I do not understand why they were trying to cancel the camp meetings. Or I didn't was catch this it just, either. Or was this, they're just like, times are moving forward and we can't have camp meetings anymore. I'm like, why not? Like, like, what about 
these like getting a bunch of people to hang out together and then listen to sermons together like what about that means that you can't have that anymore like i don't understand so i'm not sure if this is actually history this is one part i can't speak to the historical accuracy Uh, i don't know if this is accurate or if they're just trying to make a point the point that they are trying to make talking about this is that people were not willing to go to camp meetings anymore so what they're they're doing in this movie why they are so the idea, the doctrinal, I don't know if I'd say doctrinal, the Christian idea is that people kind of go to God in waves, like there'll be a time of revival and then a time of backsliding. And what this is based on is a lot of the minor prophets. So the books of like Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, like all the, like the, the end of the Bible or the end of the Old Testament. Um, thanks mom for teaching me the Bible verse song, which I still remember apparently the books of the Bible in order, Um, Hmm. but, but those, those books of the Bible, like the short minor prophets at the end of the old Testament, what those describe a lot, as well as the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, um, is the, the people of Israel in the time about 500 years before the birth of Christ. So we're talking after Daniel's exile, uh, in Babylon, before Roman rule, those like 500 to 700 years between those yeah. two events. The people of Israel were, were described as having be close to God and then they would backslide and fall away. And then they would be close to God and then they would backslide and then God would send a prophet and that prophet would bring them closer to God and then they would backslide and fall away. And it was kind of this cycle. Christians tend to believe that, that Christians as a whole will follow that same cycle that was described in those books of the Bible. So there'll be a time of revival and then a time of falling away from God. And then it's a cyclical like that. Okay. That makes sense to me. So, right. Because, yeah. because of the, the connection between like the Christians now believe that they are a, kind of a mirror or a analogy of, of ancient Jewish people. Oh, yeah. so, okay. I, I get, I get what you're saying. I get so, what you're okay. Saying. So this is all coming together in like one thing. Yeah. These So what the movie is trying to illustrate is that there was a time of revival where the camp meetings were a big thing. And then now we're in a time of falling away where people are not as willing to come listen to that kind of sermon. People are not as willing to drive or not drive, <laughs> get in their buggies and, you know, travel multiple days to get to a camp meeting. People are becoming more industrialized, and so it's not like a farm that you can just leave the farm for a few days and everything will be fine. But people have jobs that they have to go to. So that's what it's illustrating is that there is a falling away from the camp meeting. So it's basically trying to shame people for not wanting to go to these camp meetings anymore. Okay. Okay. So there's – like I said before, there's all of this historical and cultural context that I – just was not aware of that makes this movie act like that makes the plot of this movie make sense to me now if i had understood that like watching yeah, this movie now i'm like oh okay i don't now know if there would have been on. any yeah. way to explain it to you before you saw it it would have just been a history lecture for like an hour right okay 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 that, okay, that makes sense anyway so there's this woman at this camp meeting now i understand that she's cut from the same sort of cloth as Robert Sheffy's aunt who Mm -hmm. would have been like a Calvinist maybe. And, 
but she's coming to the camp meeting and she's very, you know, well to do. And she's like, if I went, she's she'll like listen to the sermon, and, but she's like, oh, if I would actually go in there and accept Jesus into my heart in the way that they want me to and get saved, I would be the talk of the town and then I would be derided uh, because I guess this is like low class church stuff. And she's more in with like the, the high class people who, you know, would be a different denomination. Right. Okay. So that makes perfect sense. Okay. So that, that makes sense now. So not only is this movie got like this very evangelical tilt to it, it's also got this very like populist tilt to it. Yes. Okay. That makes, okay. This all is making sense to me now that you're explaining it the the way that you're explaining it to me. There's also some anti-intellectualism subtext. Right, where because the guy from the the guy who rejected Sheffy's application to become a preacher of the Methodist Church came to the camp meeting and was like, you know, I remember I rejected your application many years ago, mm-hmm. and I've got to tell you, you can you you can preach with the best of them. You did a good job there. But also, we're probably going to be shutting down these camp meetings because people don't really seem to be that into it anymore. Right. And Sheffy's like, how dare you? You are not telling me the word of God or something that he says like that. Yeah. So, then, yeah. So Sheffy yeah. Like, is like, uh, yeah, no, that's not going to happen. You were talking about the the rich young woman, though. We encounter her probably about halfway through the movie. And she shows up a couple times and she always will give Sheffy a red rose. And basically he told her that she needed, and this is a common Christian phrase, that she needed to die to self. So salvation um, or surrendering to God, either one, is is sometimes described as you die like the person that you are is effectively dead and you've taken on a new life in Christ instead. Oh, you're reborn. Yeah, that's yeah. the that's where this is coming you're from. You're born again. Okay, okay, I understand. There what you the, go. Okay, there we go. I'm getting it. Yes. I'm getting it. So okay. So what this woman is saying, like when she gets, I've heard a, that said so many times. And I'm like, what does that mean? Okay, now I know what it means. That's a little bit of the, that is half of like the theological context behind it. There's another half that I'll get to at a different time. And but she's like, oh, life is for the living. Yeah. Here's my red rose with the blood of life, and then. And I she's guess like, the, you'll never, yeah. if I ever give you a, a white rose, then you'll know that I'm willing to die to myself and accept Christ, but that's never going to happen. That's like her surrender or whatever. So, right. So, so she shows up a few times to give him red roses. Yeah. Every time he has a revival, she's like showing up because she wants to hear the, the, the sermon, but she doesn't want to, you know, she to, doesn't to, want to give get up. saved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about um the guy? The guy that was drinking and beating his wife. Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah, I want to talk about that uh, in a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought that was next chronologically. What do you have next? No, what's next chronologically is that he gets married. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I forgot about that Yeah, so the daughter, uh, the girl with the milk, uh, Eliza, the, 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 the woman with the milk. The mother, the woman whose mother didn't make the dumplings. The woman who is pouring the milk and then she looks in his eyes and my heart will go on by Celine Dion starts playing in her head. She and Sheffy get married in the most awkward proposal ever. I don't want to talk about it because it was so awkward. (laughs) Um, Fast forward. They have a kid. They get a letter from somebody saying, oh, my mother always told me that if I ever needed anything, I should write to Robert Sheffy and he would come help me. And so they get a letter 
from this woman. And then Sheffy's like, I got to go and help this woman out. So he rides all the way to West Virginia, which is, I guess, a, a many days ride on his horse from where he was. And he gets there. And this woman is like, my husband is a terrible drunk. And when he drinks, he beats me. What do we do about it? So Sheffy's there when the guy comes home drunk. Very drunk. It was so drunk that he didn't notice that there was a, a preacher standing in his living room. Quite in talks. Then again, this guy was like, drinking shine. So that's a different kind of drunk. Oh, I, I'll tell you. Oof. Yeah, this dude I've, was drinking. Like the, the like what he was drinking was not. I've drank shine before, man. Oh, my God. Mm. Yeah, I don't think this guy was not. It's not like he came home like with a bunch of Jaeger bombs in him or something. This is a totally no, different he, world. Like he, <laughs> but he's super drunk and he like tries to hit his wife. Also, it probably had methanol in it. So he probably right. was like partially blind. Anyway, if he's been drinking shine, then he probably can't see. I mean, I don't know the, if the moonshiner is an expert, then he knows to take the devil's cut off of the top, but maybe not. Who knows? Yeah. Um, is that what it's called? The devil's cut, The devil's cut, which is, which was a uh, recently parodied by either Jack Daniels or Jim Beam or somebody. Uh, but the devil's cut refers to letting the first certain percentage of the, of whatever liquor you're making pour out onto the ground, because that's the part with the methanol in it. Okay. That makes sense. And if you don't give the devil his cut, that's how people go blind. But they, now they make a whiskey called that, I think. But but the the original context is that's what that was. You know, I remember drinking that and I thought it was terrible. I don't think I've ever actually had it, it because it, it I have a bad good. connotation with it because I know what the devil's cut actually is. Yeah. Um, anyway, this dude, he tries to hit his wife and he like misses her because he's literally so drunk. Yeah, he like looks in the pot and he's like, oh, nothing to eat. Let me hit you for it. And then he like straight up just falls on his face literally just like yeah he's like i know we out. shouldn't be laughing at this but it's so like it's, it's very, very slapstick yeah it's an overblown portrayal of what a drunk person looks like so this For so sure. this guy he is like out so Sheffy comes up with a very creative idea of how to get this guy to stop beating his wife yeah, so he ta- he like literally strips all this guy's clothes off and lifts him up on his back. Like, and this is a big f-ing guy. Like, this guy probably weighs two hundred and fifty pounds at least. Oh you yeah, he's a big dude. He, he's a big dude, and Sheffy just bends down, squats this dude like he's nothing. I'm just Squatting like with the power of God. Yeah, I'm just like man. I guess you know what if you're riding around on the horse all day, then your quads and your core. you know and and your core have got to yeah. be pretty you know pretty solid. Yeah. But Sheffy just like gets down and like lifts this dude up onto his back, this big dude up onto his back, walks him out into the field and throws him down in the wash bucket. He takes all of this guy's liquor, dumps the liquor in the wash bucket, and then like goes out into the woods and like chops down a bunch of trees, chops down a bunch of branches for a bunch of trees, enough that he can make a giant ring of like firewood around the wash bucket that he's got like this guy. Like a 20-foot or more diameter circle. Yeah. Yeah. And so then he like 
starts a fire and so this guy's got like a ring of fire around him he's sitting in a tub of alcohol with a ring of fire surrounding him yes and this is moonshine too so this could have gone very wrong very easily and this like and robert sheffy would have definitely been guilty of murder so okay so jonathan happened to be in the room when i was watching this part (laughs) and and i so so um I, I, you know, the the guy like almost hits his wife, and he misses her. He falls over, and Sheffy goes and gets the bathtub. And I, th- and I said out loud, "Oh sh! I think this is the part where he lights the guy on fire." And my husband just looks at me, and he's like, "What are you watching?" <laughs> Like, what is – and then I had to tell my husband that this is a movie that I watched when I was a child um, where an appropriate punishment for a drunk person was that they would sit in a bathtub of alcohol and a ring of fire would be lit around them. <laughs> he was pretty confused. This guy wakes up, which, I mean, if like, if you're in a bathtub full of grain alcohol, then when you – like, I mean, that will, like, get absorbed into your body like you will you will have the alcohol absorbed into your body and it will get you more drunk but for whatever reason this guy wakes up uh and he's straight up like he's looking at these flames and he sees like the devil in the flames and he's like freaking the like he is losing his mind he is freaking out so scary to be as a kid like me watching it now, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good special effects for this movie that came out in 1977. Like this movie that came out before like Star Wars. And a very you low know, budget they... movie, probably. This was like a, a theater department at Bob Jones University production. Yeah. Like, I mean, they had a lot of like, I, I don't know how they managed that because the costumes were very well done. And there was a lot of horses in that movie. And this that yeah. and those do not come cheap renting out horses from people there was like 50 horses in the movie um but yeah this dude is seeing like demon faces in the flames yeah and like now if we looked at it it's i mean it's like you you guys have all seen raiders of the lost ark it's like that but like way more low budget but it's really not bad for like what it is the the special effects aren't bad for what it is Uh, i was i was gonna say um you know i had persistent nightmares of fires as a child like i was what, really... like waking up and like the house would be burning yeah like i had per- persistent like recurring nightmares as a kid like all the time to- like it was it, it happened so often that it was commonplace to me like like this is what i have nightmares about when i have nightmares and now i'm starting to wonder if this had anything to do with this movie you know, it very well could have because this scene, I can imagine that, you know, if you weren't allowed to watch real movies then this scene would be pretty scary. Oh, it, this scene was terrifying. This was one of the other ones that I remembered. I guess uh, uh, Sheffy goes back to the woman. Yeah, that guy's going to wake up and he's never going to drink, want to drink again because like he saw the devil and he won't want to talk to you about it and he'll think it's fake, you know. And so that was the whole thing is that he was like, yeah, and we don't gonna- get closure like. We don't get. We don't know if that guy like. No, we do get closure. Oh, do we? Yeah, because at the end of the movie, 
um he's he says oh i went and i stayed with uh i forget what their name was but he mentions the family name again just in passing and so he's like i'm like okay well that guy must have been reformed i don't know i think it's so bizarre like in this movie and i guess this would have been seen that way at the time because the whole thing that they were talking about with alcohol was they're like alcohol makes men beat their wives but like we know now that alcohol and uh spousal abuse are not linked they are you know you can be a drunk person and not beat your wife or you can be like completely sober and be incredibly abusive mm-hmm. so like those two things are not linked but people were like oh well drunk men beat their wives so we got to ban alcohol and that was like i guess that would have been a thing at the time and that would have been a thing that we thought that they thought but like looking back at that now you know you're like that's not accurate but that's a thing that they thought at the time but this is also a thing that they knew wasn't true in the 1970s when they made this movie but this is also a thing that they were trying to promote in the 1970s when they made this movie because they're right. like trying to be anti-alcohol but for like this weird 19th century reason that we know now isn't true you just have to remember that this movie was made by a college just a couple ticks more more reasonable than Hiles Anderson yeah. Barely. Just barely. I mean, BJU in the 70s is probably the same as Hiles Anderson when I went there. The, this is coming from a very, very conservative standpoint. But yeah, that's the guy that, that gets that Sheffy tricks into thinking that he's in hell, which I'm now penning as the cause of some nightmares I used to have as a child. So anyway, Sheffy just keeps doing various things. Like this movie is not so much a movie as it's just like. uh, It's a series of vignettes. I was literally about to say a series of vignettes about this guy's life that Loki end up tying together at the end of the movie. He like is riding through and then this family's horse just like dies and he comes across these people and he's like, I'm going to give you my horse. And so he gives them his horse and his horse like looks back at him and is like, I'm going to miss you, buddy. This made me sad. Okay. But also so sad. You want to know the thing that really bothered me about this scene is that he gave this family a horse and they couldn't even give him a ride into town yeah they just like they like gave him the horse and they're just like see ya and he's just like chilling in the wilderness yeah he's this old dude and he's got his saddle and all of his stuff on his back just like tromping back into town yeah and then he goes to town and the townspeople buy him a new horse See, this made me sad, though, because I feel like uh, this is a concept I was presented with a lot as a child, that if you love something, that, like, the more that you love something or the more that you enjoy something, the more likely God is to require for you to give it up. Ugh. So, like, if you have a hobby that you really like, you can never fully enjoy it because you're always wondering, like, when is God going to show me something sinful about this hobby and lay it on my heart to give up this hobby or if you have a person that you really love like you're sorry this is just like really dark if there's a person that you really love you're afraid to love them too much because you feel like the more you love them the more likely god is to kill them just to like make a point as we see later in the movie yes (laughs) so you're afraid to love something or love someone too much because you feel like the more you like something or the more that you love a person, the more likely God is to take it away from you. That's so that's very... what this horse. So the whole horse scene was kind of slightly triggering because that um, 
that is kind of the concept I felt like it was illustrating. Yeah. The oh this okay, that's really weird. So I just wanna I just wanna bring up the fact though, when you say loving things too much, is that Robert Sheffy, um, at least according to this movie, was the most like absentee deadbeat father in the entire world. No kidding. Yeah, that he was like constantly like his he goes home like one day and his wife is there with like his 10 year old child and he's like, I'm going off to help these people. And his wife's like, really, you just got back. I haven't seen you in like three months and you're just going to leave again. Like you have a child here. And then the kid's like, I made you a map, dad. See? And he's like, that's nice, son. See you never. And then rides off. Yeah, I don't I don't feel like he was a very good dad. At no, all. like and then like at the end of the movie, they have another revival and then like a camp meeting and a revival and or, or something. And then it's not that popular. A lot of people don't come to it. He's like, OK, it's fine. We'll get it bigger next year. And then somebody straight up burns down the campground. And he's like, oh, no, like and somebody like comes and finds him. They're like, Robert Sheffy, somebody burned down the campground where we have our camp revival meetings. And his wife, he and his wife like run out of the door like to see what happens. And then his wife like dies suddenly or, or like has a heart attack or something. I think she, I think she, yeah, she has a heart attack from running up the hill to try to see if the campground is on fire. She dies. And then he's like, I really f***ed up here. That that's like the reaction that I got from him. He was like, "I really fucked up here because like I didn't appreciate my wife while I had her, and she died, and I spent all of this time away from her." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like he has that like revelation. Yeah, yeah. and then like th- that's like close to the end of the movie. He's just like, "Well, well," and it's not that he's remorseful. It's just that he's like, "Man, I fucked up." Yeah. But you don't get the you don't get the impression that like he follows through with like I wish I could like like a normal person, like I wish I could go back and change that. Or no, I wish I could see her again to say that I'm sorry and tell her how much I love her. Like there's there's not that step that a normal person would take. Yeah, and then he's like chilling in the cabin. And like as the first scene in the movie, there's some dude who runs into the cabin. He's like, I need to confess my sins to Robert Sheffy. That's like the basis for the movie is that this guy's like, I need to confess my sin to you, Robert Sheffy, but I don't want to. And then Robert Sheffy straight up launches into his whole fucking life story. entire life story. And when we finally get to the end of that after his wife dies, we get to hear what this young dude was going to confess two and a half hours ago. Yeah, and this guy is like, I'm the guy that burned down the campground. Your motive, this guy's motivations to burn down the campground are extremely unclear. They never specify that. He's never like, why did you burn down the campground? He's just like, I know I shouldn't have done it, and it was wrong. Like, uh, of course it was wrong. Of course committing yeah, arson, arson is, is typically wrong. wrong. You shouldn't do that. Why did you do that? Please tell me why you did that. My wife died of a heart attack. And then Robert Sheffy's like, I don't want to hear anything else. I already forgave you. I'm like, uh, like I have, I am left with some questions here. And that's like pretty much the end of the movie. 
Yeah. And like, you know, and they're talking about like, I, I guess at the, at the, when he was at the camp meeting before, you know, he had this conversation with the same guy who like, it was the same dude who like denied him his uh, license to preach as a Methodist preacher, like years and years and like literally decades ago, the same guy. We're going to to change some things. I think the camp meetings are going away. People are, people don't really like it as much anymore. And Robert Sheffy like goes on this whole tirade against liberalism. And anyway, at the scene after when he after it's all been burned down, this dude confesses that he burned down the campground. He like Robert Sheffy. And I wrote this down. He goes into this sort of monologue where he says something like every time we give up a part of our faith to try and fit in with the ways of the world, we lose it forever and they will never give it back. And so we will not be allowed to have our religion except where they say, and when God is driven from our schools, our government and our homes that know that it was not taken from us, it was given up. And then the very next scene is this guy's funeral. Okay. So I wanted to say real quick, number one, um, the guy who burned down the campground is not the same guy as the guy who like didn't want to give Sheffy his license and like who's in charge in the Methodist. Yeah. Sorry. The the way you phrased that, it sounded like it was the same guy. It's two different dudes that are both kind of jerks. But not as big of a jerk as Sheffy because he's a really big jerk. Sheffy A destroyed some dude's livelihood. Uh, (laughs) B... Uh, there's some like unwed mother who who delivered a baby or something, and then all he did was like shame the shit out of her. I don't know. I thought he was like pretty cool to her considering the circumstances. I yeah, expected and- that to be worse. But then when they were at the the uh, the revival service, she had to come up and confess her sins in front of her. Everybody's oh, like, yeah. "We know what you did, like you yeah, but- unwed mother." Yes, terrible, terrible. But um, yeah, you yeah, absolute she- harlot. So, but I wanted to say though. Um, if you've ever heard me mention higher criticism on the podcast, uh, higher criticism was a a mostly European school of thought, similar to what Thomas Jefferson believed in some ways, uh, if you know anything about that. But basically the idea that the Bible is more mythological and that, that God is, is not concrete or specific, that God is more ununderstandable. And and that the Bible is kind of the Bible is not literal. The Bible is mythical, uh, and that religion isn't cut and dry. It's it's a philosophy, and it's kind of ever changing. That's higher criticism, and Sheffy gives a very distinct speech against higher criticism. So if that the idea of like and and like he would call it liberalism, bless you. Yeah. But um, if you ever want to hear kind of a a, a pretty succinct version of the 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 difference between like Sheffy being being old-fashioned or conservative and and then the, the new guy the other guy the Methodist guy being a proponent of higher criticism that was a it was a very short scene that really got into some of the the nuances of that in a pretty accurate way okay yeah see I didn't understand what they were talking about because I didn't know so about this stuff you've heard me talk about higher criticism though no. Oh, okay. I thought this I'd is the first that. time I've heard you mention it. Okay, that that makes sense. So, but okay, when Sheffy but then- was like, "Oh, yeah, you don't believe that that the Bible is literal," and like that's what he's talking about. Oh, and okay, that's okay, like okay. What okay, gives okay, rise okay. to terms like liberalism? He he goes in this. He launches into this monologue at this guy about it. The guy that burned down the the camp meeting. He like, and then it literally cuts to the next scene. And the next scene is Sheffy's funeral, and the implication here is that the liberals killed Sheffy. Um, yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's that's what I took from that scene. 
Um, and then at the end, that lady before with the roses uh, uh, that was giving him the red rose comes back and drops a white rose in the grave. And like yep. what I don't, I don't understand what their relationship was, like why he was so important to her. She was just a lady who's just like, I, I, I do not understand it. The whole theme of the movie, the, 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 the thing that you miss overall, if you're not watching this from a Christian perspective or like a, I mean, even a an IFB perspective probably is that Sheffy is representing someone who has God's hand on him. So like somebody who has another way of saying it might be like the power of the Holy spirit. So that's why when Sheffy prays, something happens like a tree falls down the mountain and falls on somebody still. Sheffy is able to, he has like this special power from God because he has the power of the Holy spirit. So he influences people like the drunk guy who he got to stop beating his wife or this lady with the white flower. He he has a special power to influence people and to change their minds or to change their lives. And the reason he has that special power is not because he is well-spoken or because he is talented. It's because he has the Holy Spirit. So the whole movie is illustrating what a life would be like of somebody who has that kind of Holy Spirit power. So it's a challenge to Christians because Christians who see the Holy Spirit that way or who believe in kind of that version of this believe that if you are righteous enough and that if you pray enough and that if you have dedicated your life to God to a great enough extent that you will be like Sheffy, you'll be able to pray and a tree will fall down the mountain. You'll be able to magically influence people around you to do what you want them to do. So it's meant to be a challenge, like be a really, really good person like Sheffy and follow all of God's laws and pray all the time. And you'll have these kind of magical powers like he does. Interesting. Right. But that's something that you would never get if you didn't understand like the context of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. See here. Okay. So here's the thing for me. Okay. So is, so they make this movie and at the end of the movie, the bad guys win, the good guys lose. Like the camp meeting is canceled forever. And then Sheffy goes on a tirade against the philosophies that caused that to happen. And this got me to thinking that this aspect of the film, it really makes me feel like it's more of a propaganda film like you would see. Like when I was in college, some of my classes were heavily film-based. And I remember we would watch films where it would talk about the lost cause of the Confederacy, where it would be like, we may have lost the war, but the ideals are still alive. Or, or films you know, to blame certain groups of people for a historical event, you know, maybe to incite hatred against their descendants. And clearly, Sheffy wasn't made to incite hatred or violence or anything, but it was made to, I think, remind the hardcore Christians who watch it why they don't engage with media or with liberals or why they have to fight against the growing tide of liberalism. So, 
this is a serious issue, and maybe I don't get the historical context of this or the cultural context of this also, but in this time and place and this setting, it seems like everybody also knows who this preacher is and people who's like people whose lives he's affected people that he's literally never met before. Like he's seen as some extremely influential guy. And I could see that like, you know, maybe being true for his community, if he was just like the pastor of one community, but this guy is riding all over central Appalachia and never staying in one place for very long. Like, literally everybody knows who he is and if he's not around like how big a role is he even able to play in anybody's life is this just like a one of those things where like if you're from the ifb you're used to getting pastors being treated like superstars and like this all makes sense or am i just missing the cultural and historical context to make this not a plot hole i think it might be a little bit of column a a little bit of column b there yeah because uh the way now, now, and I have no idea how biased this is or isn't. The way I was taught about camp meetings, I was always under the impression that these were kind of the highlights of people's year. This was a social occasion, uh, at just as much as it was a religious occasion. Okay. So these camp meetings would be like the only time that you socialize with people outside of your direct immediate community or your immediate family. So. These camp meetings were kind of actually a big deal because it was like a huge social event. Like people would get new clothes. You would get new clothes once a year and it would be right before camp meeting. Okay. Okay. This makes sense. This makes sense. And so the guy who's speaking at the camp meeting, you know who that guy is and everybody knows who he is. And so people are talking. Okay. Okay. So, so Sheffy would have become kind of a mythological figure. Um, Even before the, the current like IFB rock star era, with people like Hiles or Scop, Sheffy would have been well known because of these camp meetings. Uh, but also if he prayed down, you know, if even one of these mythological kind of stories about him was true, getting some dude to stop drinking or helping out uh, an unwed mother or whatever else he did, getting a tree to fall down the mountain on someone still, if, if even, or getting, or t- t- tricking a guy to think he's in hell. If even one of those stories was true, it kind of becomes a mythological thing where, like, Johnny Appleseed was a real person, right? Was he? Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, okay. we know his, like, actual last name. He was he was a real person who traveled across the country planting apples, apple trees. But, like, the idea of, like, him walking around with a pot or pot and pan on his head and, like, Oh, he planted X million apple trees. Like all of that is myth. But it starts with a guy who's a real guy. And I think that's what happened with Sheffy, in my opinion. Like, I think he was a real guy. Like, he definitely was. He's he's a historical figure. But if even just one of those times, like, I got, okay, I got lucky when I prayed at the dentist (laughs) and was able to get my tooth work done. (laughs) So Sheffy got lucky when he prayed, like maybe one of those times, and that was enough to kind of cement his status as a mythological figure. And some of these other stories maybe came out of that status. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, this is and this is the movie about him that every IFB child saw roughly one million times. (laughs) The one thing that I do have to say about this movie is that when I watched it, after having watched it, it absolutely ruined my Amazon Prime 
<laughs> movie suggestions. <laughs> like, it's suggested that I watch a movie about Fanny Crosby. I told you about her in the music episode. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know what to. Okay. So I don't know what, what do I make of this episode, of, of this movie? I mean, I understand why this movie would be like the appropriate movie for kids, but also it's a boring movie and you'd think that they would make it like an appropriate movie for kids that wasn't so boring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just like not everyone's parents let them watch Veggie Tales. You know, if you if you grew up by Oh, because that's not KJVO. Because Veggie Tales, right, is not King James Version only and, and they use uh rock music occasionally as well. I don't know. I think some IFB parents are so strict that this really was kind of the only option. Yeah. It's like, you know, in uh, you've seen The Good Place. Oh, yeah. Love The Good Place. You know, when they go to Mindy St. Clair's in the, the medium media place. Yes. And the only movie that they have is Cannonball Run 2. This movie would belong in the medium place. <laughs> this movie is the Cannonball Run 2 of the IFB. Wow, that is a great description. Yeah. I could not agree more that this movie, that is that is exactly where this movie belongs. Yeah. So I, I want to thank everybody for listening to our, like, do you have any final thoughts about this? Um, about this no, movie I that think, you I think say? we got it sewed up pretty good. I am, I am overjoyed that you watched it with me. Um, man, there was some stuff in there that I did not remember. There was some, also the fact that the only black person in this movie is a slave. Yeah. Also not super great. Yeah, and and so that's just another thing where we talked about before that, like, he was, oh, that he would have been talking about abolition, but clearly he wasn't talking about abolition, you know, because... Not in this version. Or, you know, that would have been a thing that he harped upon where his... And they're just like, oh, well, his his mother did pray before she died. She prayed and she got saved, and so she probably went to heaven. And then the... Nothing to do with the fact that, oh, well, he's probably running around preaching about how slavery is wrong and his or it's not his mother, his aunt. And his aunt is definitely a a slave owner, which is not cool in the slightest. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this I think uh, Bob Jones in making this movie kind of uh, really. They just don't want to touch any of that because, oh, that might ruffle some feathers. Yeah, they went to a lot of effort to avoid anything remotely controversial, even stuff that really should have been gotten into. This this guy was probably an interesting guy, and he deserves to have a movie made out of him. You know, probably. It would be I mean, nice I if would, it had a plot. You know, if somebody really went into the history of it and, like, really, like, got into this guy and was like, okay, let's make a movie about this guy and show the good things and the bad things that were going on in his life and really show about the culture of what was going on at the time, and we'll make a movie about him. But, you know, it will also be about the time that things are going and it won't just be like a puff piece, you right. know, that, that just that is just there to uh, like laud his legacy. You know, that I mean, that would be an interesting movie. That would be an, a movie that I'm, I would be interested in going to see. But I know that, like, that's not going to happen. That's not what we're going to get here. No. no, But I'm glad you watched this movie. Um Yeah. I think it was a really interesting discussion, and I'm uh, I appreciate that you got all the I'm, I appreciate that you sat through it. I really do. Oh, it was so long. It was an hour and seventeen minutes long, or two hours and seventeen minutes long. Uh, yeah. So, um, 
moving on from there, uh, we I am going to assign you the last homework episode that we are going to do for a while. Because as our listeners know, as we reference constantly, Sadie is – how pregnant are you at this point? I mean, I guess Extremely. there's only <laughs> one degree of whether or not you're pregnant. But I am – at the time of recording this, I am almost 34 weeks so sometime in the next five to six weeks, I will most likely have the baby. Yeah. And so because we love you so much, we have decided to pre-record a ton of episodes so that we can continue releasing episodes after she goes on her maternity leave from the podcast. But as a result of that, we're going to have to scale it back to only doing one episode a week, not doing two episodes a week. And that means that we're not going to be doing homework for a while. So we're going to do one more episode of homework and then we're going to uh, uh, cut back yeah, we'll to just return doing one to, episode a week. Yeah, We'll return to doing homework um, at some point after – some point when, when I return to the podcast. Yeah, and Later. so that'll be good. Um, so – this last uh, this uh, uh, homework assignment that I'm going to give you is so this movie was foundational to your childhood. I am assigning you something that was foundational to my childhood. Okay, perfect. So this is not only foundational to my childhood, but this is something that is deemed to be a classic by many, many, many people. And I also know that it is something that you are not particularly familiar with because i've asked you many times i am assigning you to listen to the paul simon album graceland which as i understand it is not an album that you have listened to before not ringing any bells now no not at all okay so this is an album that paul simon came out with in the 1980s um and it is well known because when he made this album, he went to South Africa and he worked with a bunch of black South African musicians who were living under the apartheid regime there. Ooh. Yes. And so this album, it, it was a smash. Hit. It was massively popular. It is, you know, known as, you know, one of the best albums of all time by many. You know, people will put it in like top, top, top lists. People love it. I love it. Um, this like this album is so foundational to my childhood. I tell you, like, I cannot remember a time in my life when I did when I could not recognize all of the songs on this album. You know, yeah. like that's that's how foundational it was to me. I don't know if other people had the same experience, but this album was like everywhere. Well, I guess that sounds like something I really need to check out. Yeah, and so this album was really uh, – uh, this is something that's uh, – the music is really good, and also it had the effect of – you know one of the groups that he collaborated with was this vocal group called Ladysmith Black Mambazo, and as a result of them being on his album and them working with him, they ended up having a massively successful international career. So not just a career within the confines of South Africa. So they ended up, you know, they won Grammys. They were on Sesame Street. 
And so that was another thing. So this did have much wider impact. And also this is an album that was greatly criticized because this was during a time when there was a cultural boycott of South Africa because of the apartheid regime. So even though he was only going there to work with the black musicians and he wasn't, you know, patronizing the apartheid regime, he was still heavily criticized for making this album. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So next time we will talk about Paul Simon's album, Graceland, which is uh, available to stream everywhere, I think. And until then, uh, you can follow the Leaving Eden podcast on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. On Facebook and Instagram, it is at Leaving Eden Podcast. On Twitter, it is at Leaving Eden Pod. You can follow us on TikTok, which is at Leaving Eden Podcast. You can send us an email if you have any ideas or any questions that you want to ask us. And that is going to be uh, leavingedenpod at gmail.com. And Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, or you can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. My name is Gabrielle Hakohen, and I am at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N on all platforms Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And until next time, bye bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.